and welcome to the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, a podcast for those who wish to live a gentler, kinder way of life. Oh, I am so delighted to have you here. This is season two of the podcast and I'll be interviewing some truly wonderful souls on their journey in self-kindness. But first, I'd better introduce myself. I'm Peter, a self-kindness and intuitive eating coach. I live in Cornwall and work with soulful nourishers all over the world with one-to-one and group coaching programs. I always have a cup of tea in my hand and a cat within stroking distance. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. Just search at Nourishing Soulfully and visit nourishingsoulfully.co.uk for updates on new courses, workshops and one-to-one offerings. At the moment on the website, there's a brilliant five-day video course on creating balance in your life, which is free of charge and you can join the Nourishing Soulfully Club too to gain access to the library full of workshops, courses, ebooks, and audio meditations and breathing techniques. But that's enough about me for now. Let's delve into this week's episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. Today on the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, I am joined by one of my very best friends, Laura from Ebb, Flow and Grow. Welcome to the podcast, my lovely. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. And it just, it feels quite surreal, actually, um, because, well, I've known Laura for, I don't know how long now, um, but it's just we've been through such so many journeys kind of together when it comes to business and personal life haven't we yeah it's been it's been a whirlwind and um it it does feel very it it feels wonderful to be sat here being interviewed on your actual podcast um but yeah it's um I sort of feel like we've gone from having side hustles and baby businesses and now we've got like real businesses and it's it's Yeah. yeah it's exciting actual businesses so (laughs) saying that as well that similar journey um, of business we've also had really similar journey with food and body image at very similar timings like in our late teens and 20s Um, and we were even each other's accountability partners weren't we yeah and um, I think I think you're right and I think probably as time has progressed I think our parallels have have changed um, a little bit just based yeah. obviously on on the research and 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 how your career has kind of developed um, but I yeah we'll talk about this a little bit more shortly but I feel like I'm coming back into alignment with you um, and about time to I think. <laughs> so could you kind of share with us your journey with dieting and body image and self-kindness because that's kind of what you're referring to isn't it um in terms of like eating intuitive eating and things Mm, yeah I mean I think um I started um you know making a few notes before the um the interview today and when I when I thought about writing down all of the different ways that I've attempted to diet and lose weight um it's a rather long list I mean um yeah my experience has been um so up and down all or nothing um when it's come to my relationship with food and with exercise um there's a lot there's a lot behind it there's a lot of things I can look back on now and um reflect on I mean right through from childhood and yeah my teenage years especially um and I I think probably early yeah early 20s was was Mm. probably when it hit really hard in terms of um that kind of obsessive relationship with exercising um, being so focused on the number on the scales um, for such a long time um, 
And I think as I've got older, um, maybe because things particularly in the last sort of like two to probably two to five years have been have been big and you know lots lots of lots has happened loads of change and um yeah I think now more than ever I've perhaps tried to find elements of my life that I can exercise control over because certain things have felt so out of control and and so overwhelming and I think that really sparked off um that that need and that desperation to kind of revert back into the diet culture mm-hmm. um world and for me most most recently um over the last couple of years that that has probably been isolated I'd say to keto um yeah. as a as a diet um behavior and I think now um I'm really starting to kind of educate myself um as to why that doesn't work why it doesn't work long term um I've been, yeah, kind of experimenting and starting to sort of open my mind up um, to this work. I mean, because of because of the work that you do. And I think it would be fair to say I've had a little bit of resistance to that. I know I've almost yeah. almost committed to it a few times um, over the last year or so. And it's been really scary. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know where to start with that one. It's hard to, to summarize it. Um, it's so much isn't it and often when we're trying to as you were saying like when things feel out of control in our life when we when within certain areas of our life we're lacking control what we tend to do is revert to and hyper focus on the things that we can control and you know diet culture really drums into us this message of you can control the way that you look your appearance and your body weight and shape which just isn't the case however that's kind of the message that we receive over and over again so it's only natural for us to kind of go right well things are a little bit out of control I know what I can control here I can definitely control what I'm eating and and um, the exercise I'm doing and therefore we we just place a lot of focus on it um but I think as well it's it's so normal um to feel resistance towards starting that intuitive eating journey um and I think it does take many people a good few like false starts in it because it's just like it's it feels so scary that idea of freedom feels really really scary um and often what I find with clients is they have this kind of last supper moment of like there's a few days before we start working together and then when we hop on that first call they're just like I've lit I've eaten everything I could possibly eat and more um, and it feels like I'm about to embark on a diet again. Um, and, and it's just so exp- like that's that's kind of what happens when we feel this resistance and it's totally normal and it's totally natural because we we don't know what's coming next. We don't know the next part of this journey. And and often when we're in that place, we kind of just want to revert back to what we do know because mm. that feels safe. Yeah. And I think that's the thing because I've gone through, I've gone through so many, you know, diets and restrictive eating and like counting calories using my fitness pal and um, on the opposite side, you know, secret eating, binge eating, like it's, I mean, it's been everything I can, I can think of uh, in terms of behaviors over the years. And I think because that's happened on such a repetitive cycle, like every, you know, every six months or 12 months I'm going back into one of these like behaviors um it it feels 
I guess it felt like intuitive eating was just like another one of those things. And like mm. you say, um, it was definitely, there was definitely that element of, um, oh, well, the behaviors that I really am leaning on right now, which has been a lot of, you know, a lot of comfort eating. Um, my fear was intuitive eating would take that away from me and yeah. I would lose the ability to do that. Whereas I know as we've been working together, you've been saying how like you can't you can't fall off the wagon of intuitive eating. You can't do it wrong. You can't make mistakes. And that's that feels so different because obviously yeah. with with dieting, you know, one one mouthful of the wrong thing, you know, with keto, I mean, because of of the way it's it's designed, I mean literally one sandwich and it's like the world has ended yeah. which is just insane when you think about it and when I say it out loud you know I was scared of eating fruit I didn't yeah. eat fruit for for nearly a year mm. um because I was told it was it, it was bad for me and um you know I look back now and I can reflect but it's um yeah my goodness it's not a linear journey this one for me it isn't at all. And it isn't a linear journey for anybody. And, and what you're referring to there about you can't fail at it is um, for those who don't really know about intuitive eating. The whole idea is that um, you're working. You, first off, you're working towards unpicking your um, rules that you've got around food, your behaviors around food and really understanding those and creating awareness. Um, and as you work through the 10 principles and they're not rules, they are really um, gentle guidelines for learning how to find that freedom with food again and learning how to trust yourself again around food um, you need to collect information about yourself and so if we're kind of thinking as of failure as um, the opposite to dieting so eating emotionally eating past the point of fullness um, eating when you're not hungry we have to have that information available to us and understand why it's happened and when it's happened in order to then start unpicking those patterns and really understand ourselves and create awareness around it and so that's what we're doing there's no falling off the bandwagon because you can't fail at it because the whole idea is we need to collect the information to better understand it yeah I think for me it's um there's so much there's so much emotion and history and um it's such a loaded subject and I think like I remember oh, when we had a when we had a chat about it not so long ago before I made that like that proper commitment to, to working with you on this um like and actually and actually committing because I know yeah. I've almost committed a couple of times um over the last year but um it like I think I said to you my relationship with food is broken and I feel yeah. broken and that that's a really difficult thing to to verbalize and to yeah. admit and um I think especially when the people around you um you know if in your immediate network um you don't feel like people really understand it when you try and communicate it to others and they sort of just look a bit confused and when you say you're having trouble with like your weight and it's like well it's really simple just you know eat less move more and it's yeah. I think there's been such society is wired and has been educated in such a way that um when we try and express ourselves we we feel like we're aliens and we feel yeah. like we're doing something wrong or it's just you know everybody else finds it so easy and why can't we just get it right mm. there's just so much of that behind it that it's um I just I just would like to say to anyone that's listening and if you're you know if you're finding that you've got these behaviors that are happening that are making you feel 
um, you know, uncomfortable and stuck and isolated and like you're the only one, like you're really, really not. And no, not at I all. just it's such a relief to know that you're not the only one. Um yeah. It is, it's a huge relief. And I think often like I'll say to clients when when we're kind of talking about behaviors or we're having a discovery call and and they're kind of like I don't I don't really know how to say this and I'll just reel off different things that people have said to me obviously keeping them anonymous just naming things I have come across um, throughout my coaching career so far and their eyes widen and on many of them they're nodding their head going oh my god that's not just me I, wow okay and some of them are for them they just feel like it's so out there like they've never even seen it on um the on videos on on tv in films they've never seen it's talking about um being spoken about like in an agony aunt column or friends or family and yeah I'm naming it and they're just like oh my god no that's that's totally me um and so I think it's really important to remember that as you embark on this journey it's totally your journey um and you know it's really really personal to you and that's very very important um and it we're unpicking and you're unpicking these beliefs and these behaviors and you can do this alone you don't have to do this with a coach so some people really like the the kind of accountability a coach um, offers the being able to speak to someone having someone kind of like we just said name certain behaviors name those feelings Mm. um, because it can be useful can't it having someone to have those sessions with on a weekly basis and talk things through definitely and I think particularly in like the early stages um you know like when I'm at the moment I'm like really trying to kind of embed that sort of like tracking and journaling behavior which is not something I've ever really done before Mm -hmm. um so having like a little bit of accountability for that's been really helpful because you know life is busy like we get you know we have jobs businesses kids you know can list so many things that distract us and actually yeah just having someone to kind of check in and just go hey how's it going um you know it makes such a big difference so yeah I mean I'm I'm in like at the very early stages of this of this journey and I know that I've got you know 31 soon to be 32 years of um of stuff to unpick and it's going to take some time but I, I yeah I don't know what shifted in the last few months but I just I've almost committed to this on a couple of occasions and I don't know why this time feels different but it does yeah. so you know I think if you're feeling you're feeling like that pull and if you're feeling compelled to like actually maybe now is the time like just yeah I just say go for it and you you can do it you've got the power within you to do it and to make that change as as overwhelming as I'm sure it feels because I feel it I'm there yeah no absolutely and also like I always say to people it has to be the right time like in an email if I respond to an inquiry regarding coaching and I've kind of checked out that the person is um okay for coaching it's appropriate for them um I'll always say now here's all of the information I don't want your reply immediately I want you to go away really think about this have a think about if it's the right time for you because if it's not I'll be here when it is the right time but it's something where the timing just has to feel right it Mm. has to feel like the right thing and if you're listening and you're thinking oh I'm I'm not sure or I'd like to do it on my own first sometimes I have um, clients that come to me and they've worked through the principles and then they want a coach afterwards because they've got questions about it and they want to do it that way around so just have a look at 
Um, there are intuitive eating textbooks. Please, 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 though, go with the originals um, and not kind of spin-offs because there are a lot of celebrities now promoting intuitive eating but it's not intuitive eating at all um, there's a lot of fasting going on within their kind of programs and so look for the textbook and the workbook by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch they are the OGs of intuitive eating um, it began in the 80s they really put so much research into it and it's incredible the amount of research now and studies around it are mind-blowing but even just look them up on podcasts look them up on youtube i'll include their names in the show notes as well because um, it's definitely worth even just being aware and knowing that there are alternatives out there to the diets that are failing you mm. um, so laura knowing what you know now what would you change if you could go back in time when it comes to self-kindness? I think I really love that question. And I think a big one for me would be like learning to live in the moment a little mm. bit more because I think I spent a lot of my like, yeah, if we're thinking about sort of latter childhood, early adulthood um, and, you know, throughout my 20s, um, even into my early 30s to a certain extent, I, I think I've just spent so much of my life thinking, oh, really unhappy with the way I look. And, you know, I don't like the way my body's looking for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I wish I wish I could change this and I wish I could change that. And actually, there's been quite a few occasions now where if I were to look back at a point in time, I would be very happy with how things yeah. were and actually things were great and I just I don't know it's that kind of I know it's good to look forward to things and it's good to have aspirations and to vision cast and so on but um yeah I guess I'm just sad that I've spent a lot of time wishing things were different when in fact they were perfectly fine as as yeah. they already were um living for what's coming next and just that that kind of mindset of like I'll be happy when I wish I hadn't have done so much of that mm. I find as well like looking back now at photos um, of myself over the past like 10 years um, or 15 years and I'm like I know that some of these photos I'm looking at I can remember hating the photo really disliking the photo and I look at some of them now and the photos where I'm laughing and I'm happy and I don't even know someone's pointing a camera at me they're to me now looking at them I'm just like they are the most joyful photos which truly show my personality rather than like all of the posed ones like those are the ones where you can just see joy in my eyes and how happy I am in that moment and yet I can remember looking at them going I don't want anyone to see that like most likely asking the person who took it to delete it kind of thing yeah it's so it's so scary how we just yeah I think at at that given point in time it's just I don't know you're always just thinking oh what's coming next what's coming next um and it yeah it's kind of heartbreaking to think that we just spend so much of our lives kind of wishing wishing things away wishing time away yeah. wishing the next thing would be around the corner um I also wish um yeah in answer to your question I wish I had kind of made peace with myself sooner in terms of how I'm wired and really understanding kind of what makes me tick really understanding who I am as a person um 
I spent, you know, the best part of 10 years, albeit with a, a little business side hustle right at the beginning of that, but largely speaking, you know, working for other people, yeah. um, working in that kind of corporate environment and unfortunately spending an awful lot of time um, basically changing myself and, um, you know, making myself um, fit into another, you know, someone else's box and and kind of conforming to corporate cultures and so on and I I went through a massive change last year and a huge amount of self-discovery and um yeah kind of wish I'd found her sooner um yeah yeah see that's the person I always knew yeah <laughs> and isn't it funny like when we have that moment of that self-discovery and everything we feel like we're a different like we feel like we're truly us and therefore like those closest to us they won't recognize us and yet from the outside like as one of your best friends looking at you I'm just like yeah no this is like really Laura this is like Mm -hmm. the proper Laura um and that's the one I knew before she's just showing up for herself as herself now yeah it's so funny kind of looking having someone else's perspective on it because yeah I just I I feel like I haven't been myself um in such a long time I just Mm -hmm. I felt so just so disconnected for so long um yeah and maybe the me you know the me outside of work um it's still like those personality traits and the things that I hold really dear, like maybe they still, those things were still able to shine through, but um, I felt like I had a mask on most of the time at work. And, um, you know, even work itself, like even that kind of corporate environment, you know, it it fueled a lot of those like body hangups and anxieties and you know wanting to look a certain way needing to conform dress in a certain way full face of makeup every day like all of that and now I'm like makeup's like a special occasion thing and I'm (laughs) you know it's not it's not something I really wear every day at all um so much has changed in in that respect um but yeah it it took a, a fairly big um catalyst for all of that to to be uncovered I think and it's been such a whirlwind hasn't it for you this past year and a half like you set up your own business you moved out of your home and into a camper van and you've just been doing things really different lately and not quite going along with that usual life plan that we're all all taught to follow can you tell us a bit more about it about this huge catalyst um yeah so the Gosh, where do I even begin with this? I think it, <laughs> I think it started, something shifted and something started like niggling at me at the end of 2019. And um, I knew that I felt out of alignment. I knew that something wasn't right. And um, I'd been in my job for about three and a half years by that point. So it had been a little while and I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should, am I looking for a new job? Like, do I need to move on? I wasn't feeling very creatively fulfilled. And um, I started doing a little bit of freelancing work and in the hope that um, my, my, you know, my job had become big, very oh, bogged down in managing people and sitting in meetings and just all of the corporate rubbish. And um, I just thought maybe if I could get, you know, a little bit of creative marketing work on the side, um, it would scratch the itch, you know, and I'd feel better. <laughs> um, and it, 
didn't entirely work out that way. Uh, it all it actually did was created a massive, a massive catalyst. It just increased the frustration that I was feeling, yeah. and I remembered. I, I ran a small business in my early twenties that that I ended up walking away from. I burnt out, you know, declared that entrepreneurship was not for me, um, and and kind of put that in a box and and forgot about it. Whereas, yeah, when I started freelancing, I was like, oh no, I remember how fun this is. This yeah. was actually really good having that, having that autonomy, having that creative control. So, coming into twenty twenty. Um, I, I joined a business membership. I started having a little bit of business coaching. I started thinking, um, you know, what could I build? What, what mm. could I do for myself? But never did I think that I would be taking the full-time leap in, in 2020. And then along came COVID, um, which changed the, uh, yeah, changed the picture a little bit for me. Um, so I was furloughed from my job in March. Can um, we rewind a second though? Because you oh, went sure. away, didn't you, on a work trip? Um, and I was like, you need to get back. You've got to get back. It's not safe. Like yeah. you're going to get stuck there. And you were just like, it's fine. It's <laughs> a virus in China. And I was like, it's not like they're shutting down Spain. If you were flying to Spain, you wouldn't get in. They've shut the airports. And you're like, stop worrying. It's fine. It's in China. You know, it just didn't seem at that point. So I went to Mauritius yeah I went out to Mauritius um gosh it would have been like the first or second week of March and I got back to the UK about 10 days before we went into the first national lockdown and honestly in that time from like the couple of days leading up to the trip and everyone was a bit like oh will it happen won't it happen yeah. and we were like no 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 it's all fine it's all fine it's going ahead um you know there was there was no testing at that point you know you got your temperature checked at the airport um we transited through Dubai. There were maybe a few more masks than you would be usually seeing. Um, but still, you know, you're going out into, yeah. into Asia and it, you, you see that and it didn't, it just didn't feel like it was something completely out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do remember, I do remember sitting in my hotel room in, in Mauritius and um, had my own room. And like you do when you're on holiday, you watch, you know, the news 24 seven, because there's nothing else on the telly <laughs> that you understand. And I was, you know, you were hearing the news reports and things were starting to, to creep in. But like Mauritius has had no cases. Um, as I say, we, we came into the country. The first time we were checked for anything was just our temperature on entry into Mauritius the whole the rest of the journey completely normal everything yeah. was was as you'd expect so yeah I mean I, that trip was a was a miracle that that went ahead and um when I got back to the office um I worked in travel hence the trip and we were brought into like my first day back was crisis talks around all of our destinations the 14 destinations that we operated in um they were all starting to close down and the travel internationally was just becoming impossible um and yeah very very quickly so within it was yeah it was about 10 days from literally flying back into the UK to being told you're being sent home from your job and you need to go home and you're not to work you are now furloughed um so the government's now paying your wages not yeah. your employer um so yeah it March was insane and 
Um, and like we hadn't even heard of the word furlough before, had we? No. So like, because I remember you saying I need to call you and you called me and I was in the garden. I was walking around the garden and you were like, and I've been furloughed. And I was like, right, OK, but you can still work from home. And you're just like, no, I, I'm not allowed to work. I can't access my emails. I'm not allowed to work whilst I'm furloughed. Yeah, it was very, for a workaholic to be told that was a very strange thing um, to kind of get my head around. Um, we were told um, we spent the last three days of um, working at the, at the company. Um, we were told we had to schedule um, three months of social media content for, for four brands. <laughs> um, but you like had a couple of days, didn't you? With three day, we had three days yeah. three days to schedule yeah three months worth of, of and what, bearing in mind we were posting like multiple times a day I mean it was just it was it was crazy it was crazy so yeah I kind of I spent like a day thinking all right <laughs> not sure what to do now and um, this is all a bit strange and kind of had a day off and just sort of gathered my thoughts and pretty much day two of furlough I started building a website and um for my freelancing business which at the time didn't have anything apart from an Instagram account um I I just knew as marketing manager travel brand um in terms of having a target on my back for potential you know cuts redundancy and so forth um that I would be a prime candidate um the reality was I was the the highest earner in the team so again you know where do you where do you save money so um when most of my colleagues were sat around loving life unseasonally good weather in the UK um baking banana bread doing Joe Wicks in the morning I was there um creating a business and um thank goodness I did because redundancy came as expected in the June um so yeah I spent three months just you know head down focusing on that then I got the bombshell that my job no longer existed um and my three month notice period due to being in the management team turned out to be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> that was quite handy. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of financially supported until the September. Um, and then I took the leap, the big, the big, scary full time leap. I've got goosebumps. Oh, yeah. Got, I mean, I've got goosebumps here and then. <laughs> I was right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I've still got goosebumps listening back. But I think it's just that kind of like those those three months um before you found out about redundancy they felt like so long and I Mm. think it did for everyone though I think that March April that kind of like April May June time was just never ending yeah it was it was very surreal and I don't think I don't think in that first lockdown anyone really quite fathomed what you know what was to come um certainly not you know subsequent lockdowns and and everything that's happening now and you know to be to be so far on from there timeline wise and for it to still be having such an impact I mean I never could have dreamt it would it would transpire that way but um just to add into the mix as well so not only did we have the pressure of redundancy potentially from from both of our jobs because my husband works in the leisure industry um which was also on its knees alongside travel. Um, so we we ended up making a yeah, fairly drastic life decision that I've got my lovely husband to thank for. And he will take credit, so I may as well give it to him. Um, he, <laughs> he suggested that, um, yeah, we should consider van life. And 
not the first time he suggested it a couple of times it's cropped up um over the last few years and uh mainly due to finances we um you know we weren't irresponsible 20 somethings we were probably slightly misguided um didn't have all of the information that we needed ended up with a load of debt and um it's been really difficult to get out Mm. of it impossible in fact and to try and get out of debt and to save to buy a house very very hard so Carl came downstairs one fateful evening in I think it was May um and he said I've I've been upstairs having a think and he's like okay having a think now Carl having a think usually means he's about to ask to buy like another metal detector or something expensive um so I was kind of bracing myself for what was coming next and so I've been having a think and you know I, I don't know if it's possible but what about talking about van life again I was like I don't you know I don't know I don't know if it's a is it really a sensible time with everything else that's going on and he was like well it might be the most sensible time to talk about it given you know uncertainty around finances and you know we could potentially do a bit of traveling like again we didn't expect you know second and third lockdowns to follow but anyway um and I, I think he just caught me at a good moment um apparently <laughs> a slightly reckless moment because I agreed I I we ran the numbers we spent days like racking our brains figuring out what it would cost everything we would need logistics like how do you run a business from a camper van and um figuring out everything we'd need to do in terms of the house like we'd need to sell and store everything and um there was so much that needed to be done and um it just it fell so beautifully because our tenancy agreement was due to run out in the July so when we had the conversation in May we had like a two-month window two two three months where actually if we could get our ducks in a row yeah. we could leave with no faffing with no fees you know none of the the headache um and so we did and we found our camper in June um we got it converted to off-grid um so we upgraded the solar the wi-fi um you know it's a a proper camper with everything you kind of need on board to live very comfortably but nomadically um and we moved out at the end of July so it happened I can remember facetiming you and you were just sat in your living room and there was just nothing around you and you were like it's all gone it's gone (laughs) we just kind of we've had a few of those moments over the past year um and when you told me about van life I was like right (laughs) okay and then (laughs) then six months later I called you and I was like I'm on my way to buy packing boxes and you were like right are you moving house (laughs) and I was like so we're gonna move um to Cornwall (laughs) actually and Um, I can remember you just burst into tears that that day um Carl thought someone had died genuinely thought someone had died because I just started crying hysterically and couldn't speak and couldn't articulate whether it was good news bad news you know somewhere in the middle um he was convinced that like something awful had happened um and I managed to get my words together eventually and was like it's fine I'll tell you in a minute what's happening it's all okay (laughs) um it was just yeah yeah last year what a year a year it really was it really really was and like for you I just I'm so proud of you 
because it's such a massive massive thing to do like you're just you decided no I'm going to take control we're going to have some freedom we're going to live the life that we want to live and that's it's huge it really really mm-hmm. is um so when it comes to running your business you run it from the camper don't you mm-hmm. how yeah. how kind are you to yourself when it comes to running that business which takes up a lot of your time and energy mm. and where you run it in the same place that you live as well yeah there's de- it's definitely it's definitely hard and I am I am a natural workaholic so I really yeah. do have to keep an eye um on how much I'm working um and like you say there's no there's no getting away from it because the kitchen table is my desk and our you know when I'm doing my zoom calls I'm on our sofa um which is also our bed in the evening like there is everything is is tiny living it's it's Mm. micro existence and um it's it's challenging to have such a heavy layer of business over the top of the day-to-day um there's no separation um both in you know in terms of um you know me and me and my husband um and having that that kind of alone time I'm an introvert as well so I really have to be careful of my energy levels and I I do need my personal space so it has it's been tough it's been tough at times for sure um I mean I think having the camper has been great in so many ways and it's the best thing we could have done and it's really become you know it's it's a big part of that early brand journey and it always will be Mm. um but it's yeah it's definitely brought its own set of challenges so I think in terms of kind of um trying to have um those boundaries in place um it's a funny one so my my brand is is called ebb flow and grow and um it was influenced by you know the changing of the tides the waves coming in and out and the whole kind of metaphor behind it is that in business everything ebbs and flows whether it's creativity whether it's motivation whether it's your energy levels whether it's cash flow revenue like everything Mm. will come in peaks and troughs largely speaking um so I've been really I guess trying to live out my brand name in in real time I've been trying so hard to recognize that actually when I'm in a really slow season when I'm in a state of mind where maybe the creative ideas just aren't coming and I just feel I just feel tired you know I need I need space I need just time for myself um I'm really trying to respect that but also when I get into the flow state and when I when that inspiration strikes I'm also accepting of the fact that I don't work the nine to five anymore so you know what if I want to have a crazy evening where I'm up until 3 a.m because you know I've had this amazing idea for this new framework and actually the next day I want to sleep in until midday and then just go for a walk and have a lazy afternoon like that's okay as well um I spent so much time being absolutely utterly convinced that working nine to five was like the holy grail like if you yeah. could find a good nine to five job I mean you've made it right um you've got your evenings your weekends wonderful yeah no I'm not wired like that as I've established yeah. over the last year um so yeah it's just for me it's a, a big part of the way I do business and a big way that I work with my clients as well is kind of getting them to to lean into what feels good for them to lean yeah. into 
the peaks and troughs of your energy and your motivation and your creativity um because I think the more you fight that the more you you know try and put yourself into a very set structure or you try and implement you know implement things in the business that don't feel right for you and you know when we feel out of alignment with our jobs I mean it's awful and it's the same in business it's no different um it's so it's easier to fix it because you know we've got that that control um but it's it's very easy to go like completely off piste I find um yeah so it's, it's it's been challenging but refreshing in many ways Oh, that just sounds amazing. And I think as well, like you you kind of spoke about the nine to five there and that doesn't take into account our just natural seasons of our life when we do have more energy and more creativity and more drive. And when we are in that hibernating phase where we just don't and you know it's very difficult especially if um, you have set annual leave as well and you're kind of not able to take thing take time off when you need it um Mm. it it just doesn't suit humans very well does it this kind of idea that we are robots and that we can just keep delivering the same quality and Mm. quantity of work um over and over again but it doesn't allow us to actually be human no, it doesn't. And I, I think there's so much of the corporate world of work that is fundamentally broken. I really do. Um, I believe that really strongly, actually, now being on the being on the outside, looking yeah. back in. Um, I, you know, I came from the creative um, industries, you know, I've worked in marketing, branding, and um, there's this, fr- the phrase I always kind of talk about is being creative on demand. And that's just so wrong it just that's not how it works but you know you get you get a brief and you get a deadline and you get told this must be done by five o'clock and it's like okay great so I just need to pluck something out of the ether and yeah it's there's so much of that that corporate world that it it doesn't it doesn't accommodate like you say being an actual living breathing human with real real life requirements and you know personal commitments um you know I don't know so so much has changed I know there's a lot more flexibility in terms of you know working from home and and things feel slightly more progressive than they perhaps did a few years ago but um we've got a long way to go in in my opinion before workplaces are actually the way they should be to, to foster and really nurture people in a healthy way. Um, I was really surprised when I, um, one of the reasons that we moved to Cornwall was, was because I secured a job um, for a mental health charity and organisation. Um, and I was just shocked because they are so on it when it comes to employee wellbeing. Um, and I, I remember saying to you, like, I've during um, lockdown when everyone had to work from home and this went on until like June time I think we were told we had to as well as our break in the morning lunch and break in the afternoon we also had to put half an hour in our calendar every single day for some kind of activity that complemented our well-being and it could be anything and I was like I I called you and I was like I is it a trick because I thought in my mind I was like surely they're doing this to see Mm -hmm. who will take advantage of it and like put it in their diary 
and then see who are the hard workers, who are the good workers who are not doing that. And it was only like a couple of days later, um, we had like this meeting and somebody in there said, this isn't a trick. You have got to take this time. It is for your well-being. Do whatever complements your well-being, whether that's a walk or it's yoga or it's putting a wash on or like whatever it is, it's half an hour you need to take every day out of your workday. And I just, isn't it sad that I found that so shocking? It really is. But just to kind of reinforce the, the counter experience of that. So in the company that I worked for, prior to going full-time in the business um they had a new managing director come in a couple of years before I left to overhaul the internal culture um to bring in a lot more structure and essentially it, it turned it from a you know family-run business into a sort of a corporate machine and um she built the uh the phrase going the extra mile um oh, into no. one of the brand values and um, so essentially in a very very clever way she managed to weave basically unpaid overtime yeah. um into the fabric of the company culture and there was a perception that if you were doing the bare minimum so essentially the job that you were being paid to do mm. um that wasn't enough and there was you know you always had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and um you know just do that little bit extra and it was almost like a way of building it in so that when you did go the extra mile they didn't need to say thank you because it yeah. was just part of your job um I was gobsmacked when you told me about the approach that that your employer has and it's I I wish it was more commonplace I wish yeah. it didn't <laughs> the fact that you thought it was like a test just I mean says it all really doesn't it um, it does yeah it totally does um and so I guess if anyone's listening and they're like I'm I'm feeling really unhappy with work I really don't like where I'm at mm. know that it doesn't have to be like that forever that you only have one life and you can make changes you don't have to kind of make any drastic changes you can take tiny little as I always say little hedgehog steps in the right direction because an average hedgehog walks about 12 miles in a night so they're tiny little steps but they lead you very very far mm-hmm. and you know do what feels right do what feels aligned with you and if you're not feeling aligned right now in the work that you're doing take time just to have a think about what would you like to be doing what how would you like your day to look like kind of like what work would you like to be doing are you even working within the field that you'd really enjoy would you like to retrain like there's so many questions we can ask ourselves that we can gently journal upon giving ourselves full permission to just daydream and think about what would we love to do without putting pressure on ourselves to make immediate drastic changes right now aren't there Mm, yeah I would say my my example is a, a somewhat extreme um, example of challenging what's happening and making subsequent changes I am not suggesting that people need to you know quit jobs launch businesses and move into camper vans because that's <laughs> yeah it, it was a lot it was a lot and it happened very quickly um, it was the most spontaneous reckless crazy thing I think I've ever done um, and yeah, you, you don't have to make changes on that on that scale. There are, as you say, little steps that you can make in the right direction. But um, I, I think for me, like my 
um something my dad always used to say to me was um like Laura like you know if anything is ever making you like fundamentally miserable like life is way 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 too short to be anything other than happy um and I buried that advice for a long time mm. um and I kind of I hadn't forgotten he said it but I I'd not really paid much attention to it because I thought I was happy I thought I was okay actually I didn't as I say it wasn't really until the end of 2019 that I really started thinking oh maybe something's a bit amiss here yeah. um but you know once I really questioned it and really challenged it I, I did think back to that and I was like yeah dad you're right like yeah. life is way too short so yeah don't don't be afraid to make changes but yeah don't yeah. don't think you have to make them at quite the same level as as I did or do because it's it's awesome or, but you know, exactly do and also <laughs> kind of just know that it will always work out things just have a way of working out and I'm such a huge believer in everything happens for a reason and it always works out in the end it always comes good um it's just that faith sometimes we just Mm. need to have that faith and you know just as a reminder at the end of 2019 I'm sure anyone listening had so many plans in place of what the next year was going to look like and I bet it didn't go anything like that we can't guarantee our plans in life we can't guarantee what what life is going to look like so we may as well live it we may as well live it the way that we want to um, because there's no guarantees are there nope none at all you never know what's waiting around the next corner you don't and it's rather exciting too it really is. It really so is. there's a topic that I really want to touch upon with you because I know that so many of um, the listeners of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast are have going to have sim- similar experiences to you. And sadly, you experienced grief um, and all that that entails at a young age. Would you be able to share your experience with grief and I guess any suggestions that you have when it comes to self-kindness and grief, because it's such a turbulent time, isn't it? Mm. It really is. So, um, yeah, I was 20 um, when my dad died. Um, He was 54 at the time. So he was very young in in the big scheme of things. Um, He died suddenly. So he didn't have any pre-existing illnesses. he went to bed one evening and he didn't wake up the next morning. Um, and it happened as suddenly as that. Um, so for me, in terms of the the grief that I experienced, um, although his passing was very gentle, as probably as gentle as it could be, yeah. um, for us, it was like our whole world was tipped upside down overnight and we had no time to prepare for it. So um, whilst I I can't imagine what it would be like to see someone um who was very unwell and for them to deteriorate I I just imagine how heartbreaking that would be to to witness um I never got the chance to say goodbye um so that was that was hard and as a 20 20 year old um I was a baby oh my goodness I thought I was an adult but I really wasn't I was very much still a child at the time um my my parents um actually moved us down to Cornwall when um, I was about 10 and they opened up a restaurant um 
they, with no experience in hospitality, I might add, um, <laughs> apparently reckless decisions run in the family. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, they jacked in their corporate jobs and, and opened a business. So, you know, <laughs> like parents, like daughter. Um, but they, yeah, they lived very happily for, you know, for, for 10 years or so. And then when we lost my dad, um, he was the head chef at the restaurant I was working at home I was um at Plymouth University so end of my end of the first year of my degree um home on the summer break um from Plymouth and yeah living in the rest like living above the restaurant working in the restaurant so um when we lost my dad as I say it was like everything was affected it wasn't it wasn't like he used to go off to a job like again home was work and work was home so um we lost a pretty important cog in in that machine um I have always been closer I would say to my dad just in terms of how we are wired and we're like so similar in terms of people um so when I lost him um I lost I lost my mentor um I lost my guide um I you know all of the things that I would um that would come up you know like oh you know I need to do self-assessment for the first time when I had my little baby business and you know I need to um I don't know something I need to think about in terms of like car finance or like you know these big big life things that come along that you've never really done before um and also just putting the world to rights and talking about you know big topics and we would talk for hours and hours and he was like my go-to resource on everything um and he he disappeared overnight um and it's it's as vivid in my mind now as it was when it happened I can walk you through it I can walk through the door of the restaurant and and to be told that we had lost him um when I say my heart like shattered it really did and it took a very long time to put it back together um we so it was the 10 year anniversary of losing my dad last year and that was really hard um I don't it's something about that milestone um you know being a decade on Mm -hmm. um and so much has happened in that decade hasn't it so so much like he we were lucky in that um my sister had had her first baby um and he he got the the joy of, of becoming a granddad um and, and seeing him as a granddad which he was just epic he was awesome um but my sister's had two children since yeah. then that he never met you know we got married um so many you know jobs that we've been through you know getting our first place and you know I mean gosh everything that's happened in the last in the last 18 months I so wish that I could have shared that with him um my mum was petrified when I told her about van life. Um, yeah. She thought I was going to just end up living in a box under a bridge somewhere. And she was just, she was so scared, bless her, about how that would even work. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think my dad, I can just imagine, I can imagine the look on his face. I can imagine his little wicked smile, um, <laughs> glint in his eye being like, oh I wish I could go and do that (laughs) I just thought it would have been epic so yeah there's so much I wish I could have shared with him but um as to how to deal with it um man I wish there was a handbook um my um I know my sister still massively struggles and I think because my 
I, I didn't have a choice in terms of, um, of dealing with it um, because I lived and worked in the restaurant and I was living with dad like um, our normal was turned upside down um, and it was weird Helen was actually my sister was down on holiday um, when it happened so um, very very strange that she was there but she was um but she went home so after you know the funeral and everything she went home and and life returned to you know relative normality for her mm. um all the all the bits just went back to the way they were before and um so I suppose I probably had to deal with it a little bit more front on um yeah. and I know that she even now she's she's getting um like grief counseling she's looked into that very recently and I'm sure she won't mind me saying that um because she would you know she would endorse people um being able to talk about it and and being able to articulate how it feels and if you've been through grief um I think until you've lost someone very very significant like a, yeah. like a parent um it's not something that most people really understand um I, I think one of the things I was told most frequently that I would never tell someone now is that it gets better with time. Mm. And that's, I feels like a heartbreaking thing to say, but it doesn't get better. Um, the hole doesn't get any smaller. It doesn't hurt any less, but you get better at handling it. And, um, you know, go, go back to 12 months after my dad had died. And if someone had asked me to talk like this, not a chance oh, no. you know I'd have been an absolute mess I wouldn't have been able to string two words together um somehow managed to stand up at the funeral like the funeral and give a eulogy but I you know beyond that point no you couldn't get me to talk about it whereas now you know I feel like I can articulate what happened in a very rational way um but it's still right under the surface it's still as raw and as horrible as it was yeah. when it happened but you you do get stronger so I suppose in a way it does get easier with time but the the actual grief unfortunately it's going to be with you and it's it's yeah. something you have to carry and you have to learn to carry it um but I would encourage you to find people that have been through a similar thing um there's been a couple of people in my Instagram audience that have seen um you know if I've shared about dad on his yeah. birthday or father's day and they've reached out and it's it's like when you speak to someone who's lost a parent it's like you're in this very very intimate club of people yeah. that just get you so yeah it's um it's again this is a big this is a big interview <laughs> it is but I really wanted to touch upon this because as you say if if you haven't been through grief before of losing someone very significant in your life like you have it's very difficult to um really truly understand that because I mm. haven't lost a parent um thank goodness and touch yeah. wood um but uh, you know it's I think it's really important to touch upon these subjects, especially when it comes to self-kindness, because a lot of people will be giving themselves a hard time um, for still being in that place right now. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned about having um, it's almost like a club. There is um, for anyone listening who enjoys podcasts. And if you're listening, I guess you do. Um, there is a podcast called um, The Grief Cast. And um, it's interviews with people who have lost others who are grieving. And, and it might mm. be through the very early stages. Um, it might be that they've lost someone 20 years ago. But she also speaks about the interviewer also speaks about the dead parent club. Um, she lost her parents. Um, and so and she says, you know, there's, there's nothing 
nothing quite like it. And there's nothing that bonds you with others quite like it either, because you've been through that similar experience. Yeah. And I, I would say losing there, there are a 100 percent. There are similarities between losing a parent versus a grandparent versus a you know a sibling a child I mean all of these things are horrific but um there are also very specific nuances to those things and um you know I wouldn't I would encourage you yes by all means look at, at, at you know whether it's grief counseling or speaking to other people that have been through loss in in some way bereavement in some way um but you know you losing my dad is not the same as um you know losing a child or um having you know a, a sibling pass away something like that they, they they will all come with a very specific set of unique yeah. i guess yeah just nuances is the best way i can describe it things that you'll have to process and deal with that even someone else that's gone through loss but in a different way just they they still won't quite understand it so yes yeah. yeah, so, and seek out you know like-minded people and um you know I'm sure I'm sure Peter will share you know my Instagram and everything Absolutely. If, if you want to talk to me about losing a parent or just grief in general um by no means am I an expert I mean not by any stretch but um you know if you ever need a, an ear to to listen or a shoulder to cry on um my my inbox is always open for people and I'm I'm saying that from a place of um compassion but also I know from my perspective that it's that it's helped it's helped an awful lot over the years to speak to people who have been through um the same thing and I'm still on my grief journey and I probably always will be um mm -hmm. there is there is nothing or, or there's nobody that could ever come into my life um to fill that void um my mum my mum remarried and she remarried the most lovely man um the kindest soul and he's great but he will never be my dad and he knows that and it's yeah. it's you know we've had these conversations because it's a big thing to to absorb um he's fantastic but you know my dad wherever my my dear dad is now he's um he's one of a kind 100 yeah. and you know I know he's I know he would be proud I, I oh know my that. goodness so proud um and I still talk to him I probably sound a bit mad when I do but I do you know I carve out a little bit of time I've got you know there's a couple of places for me that are really special um Senan in in Cornwall Senan Cove down in Cornwall is one of them um probably if I had to pick somewhere that's kind of my you know spiritual home um we spent so many summers there as as children and I've got so many memories of my dad there um so you know I've carved out these places where actually when I go to them I feel like I'm going home and I feel like I am so close to him so yeah. there's yeah there's there's lots that you can do in in terms of coping mechanisms and I'm sure there's a heap of things that I've not even tried over the years but um yeah I, I think I feel I think I feel like I'm in a relatively good space with it now but you know 11 years in and counting it doesn't happen yeah. overnight it doesn't so Thank you so much for speaking about that, Laura. I know, I know it can be um, a really difficult subject at times to find words for, but I also feel like, as I said before, if we don't speak about mm. subjects like this, then people are going to feel more and more alone and, you know, nourishing soulfully as a, like the whole ethos is for people not to feel alone and for people to know that they're not alone with how they're feeling and what they're going through, that others are going through similar situations and others understand them most importantly. 
so thank you no you're welcome so on um the podcast in this season i am asking everybody the same question um and it's a question that's really really important to me and it's if you could add or change anything in the school curriculum primary or secondary what would it be oh i love that that's a great question um where do I start um (laughs) okay so I'd like to introduce a a new subject um Mm -hmm. whether it would need to come in at primary I'm not sure definitely at secondary but essentially it would be called essential life skills um because I feel like you come out of school (laughs) with no real understanding of how the world works um it sounds silly but literally things like saving and mortgages and um like I don't know things to think about when you get your first job and um how you do you know self-assessment and what it actually means to do you know just silly things where actually if someone had sat me down and gone this is how everything works and this is what (laughs) things actually mean versus you know I did a lot a lot I took away from school don't get me wrong I was very studious you know straight A student complete geek essentially yeah I'm proud um but I don't feel like I came away with the skills to actually set me up for financial stability um Mm -hmm. and you know I think that may well have also been you know exacerbated a little bit by um you know with what happened with dad and um I just don't feel like I had the right like mentorship and foundational skills so you know there's probably a very good reason as to why my husband and I you know we ended up with you know cars on finance we ended up with credit card debt again not through like frivolous bonkers spending but just because we just didn't really know what we were doing um so yeah I would I would love to see more of that um and I think another massive one for me um and I it's not really I suppose it is kind of curriculum led, but I would say um, having a more well-rounded, how would I call it? As as they transition, this is probably like late secondary, um, Mm. as they start thinking about, you know, colleges and A-levels and kind of what comes next. Um, For me, when I went through that and this, whether it's changed or not, because that was more years ago than I care to admit, I was never ever given the kind of the impression that I could you know I could go into like the freelancing industries or I could go and be a creative or I could start my own business heaven forbid um it was like you can go to and do your a-levels or if you want to be a bit out there you could do something slightly more practical at college but that was kind of it it was like a or b um and I remember that when I then transitioned from um a-levels to uni um I didn't want to just go to university and get a, a degree in you know English or sociology Mm. or some other random subject because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I remember putting pause and saying to my lecturers like no I want to take I want to take a year out because I don't know what I want to do and they looked at me as if my head had fallen off um as I say straight A student going I don't want to go to university it just doesn't it doesn't gel Mm. um so I'd love I'd love to see something more about you know entrepreneurship and business ownership and enterprise um and start planting the seeds when they're little because it's exciting and um you know it's if you think about when it's let's say what do you want to be when you grow up it's always like professions it's like I want to be a 
want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a firefighter or whatever it is but it's like I'd love to hear like a, a, a seven-year-old go I want to run my own business or I want to launch yeah. a magazine or like I don't know I just I would love to see that nurtured more um mm. The uni, Plymouth University are doing some amazing, amazing work with that. They've got a program called The Cube and they, I, I lecture there, I guess lecture and I mentor the students and they are actively encouraging them to consider creative freelancing and or starting a business. That's and incredible. It's amazing and I yeah. love it and I, it just gets me so, it's like being on Dragon's Den every month. It's just, it's awesome. And um, I would just love to see that start even sooner because I think it would have a fundamental influence on the educational routes that people take like it's great that they're going through degrees and then they're deciding to launch businesses but did they need the student debt if they already had an amazing concept and a basic skill set and the right guidance Mm -hmm. potentially they didn't need to go and get the degree and I'm not belittling that but you know, I I question a lot of the time, especially with the costs involved now, whether or not university is the right route for everybody. Um, So yeah, I would just, I would love to see that nurtured more. And and so we have students and young people coming out of education. They understand fundamentally how things work. They understand the sensible routes that they should take in order to, you know, save and get their first home. And they're not afraid to take a career pivot or a risk or do something a little bit different and I just wish there was more of that Um, and just think how that would affect self-esteem and self-belief just huge massive massive. absolutely massive massive because I I just remember feeling like such an outsider the day that I told my sick form leaders I'm not going to uni in September um, it was like they needed to do like an intervention as if some, you know, as if I'd gone off the rails and I yeah. was just saying, I just want to take a bit of time. I just want to take a year. I just want to think and figure out what I'm doing before. And, you know, and back then it was three grand a year, it's nine grand a year now just to go to uni. Um, but we just push them. We just go, no, 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 go, 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 go yeah. to university. And, you know, it's brilliant in so many ways, but it's it's not for everyone. And I just yeah, I just wish there was a bit more of an open mm. mind and you weren't made to feel weird if you want to do things differently. And yeah, that's that's just my experience. Um oh, what yeah. an answer. No, what thanks. an answer. <laughs> I love asking this question because no matter what answer I get, it's always a really passionate one. Yeah, and I think oh. there's just so much to be said for that. There's so, so much we could do with children and young people Yeah, um, when it comes to these kinds of things. So my final question for you of this episode is, how will you be kind to yourself this week? Oh, I like that. I've already done one. So I can mm-hmm. I can say I've been very good. I took a midweek day off. Um, yes. I skived on a Wednesday and it was brilliant. Um, no, I t- I, in all jokes aside, I am, um, as I say, I, I really am trying to bring in some more some more boundaries in the business and um I I had a wonderful creative flowing weekend of of productivity but it got sort of Tuesday and it suddenly occurred to me that I hadn't actually taken a proper day off I hadn't (laughs) had my weekend um and it was just I was just riding high and then I I started getting really tired and I was like you know what 
I'm gonna take Wednesday off and um my husband Carl was out for the day so um yeah I basically had all of the puppy cuddles um I watched a load of Netflix um I had some ice cream and I made myself lunch and it was lovely um so yeah that's for me like I think I was lying on the sofa um, watching uh, this programme and I was just sat there thinking, I wonder what, what I would have been doing on a Wednesday at like <laughs> whatever time. And I was like, probably in some absolutely pointless meeting about meetings. And yeah, um, yeah it was quite wonderful. Um, but I think also I'm going to try over the next couple of days as well um, to carve out time to look at the first principle of intuitive eating, um, which I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited about. So I've been going through um, the textbook and the workbook um, and yeah, it was just even just reading like the introduction. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's yeah. so much in here. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to dig into that as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's quite nice to sort of carve out a really like, a really intentional chunk of time where I'm like actually I'm just doing this for me so yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to that and I'm sure it'll be very very insightful I'm excited to dig in there's something really nice about just taking that time isn't there for yourself and mm. that principle one that first principle is reject the diet mentality and oh my goodness it is quite the one to digest but it's a brilliant one Thank you so much for coming on the podcast I've managed to get through the whole thing without calling you waffle <laughs> oh, oh pancake why <laughs> um but it happened <laughs> I kept trying I kept going to say waffle and but then I didn't because I call Laura waffle and I have I don't know for how long forever <laughs> I don't even remember why this why this started why did I start calling you pancake I don't know but it's just that's, that's how it is it just stuck didn't it yeah I, it Carl did. still thinks I'm mad when I call you that on voice notes and stuff but anyway no it's been an absolute an absolute pleasure and and yeah some you know some big some big old topics um mm. that we got through but if um yeah any anyone that's that's listening I just just know that you're not alone whether it's you know whether it's dieting or body confidence whether it's a career wobble or, or something as as tough and as horrible as as losing someone um I've been through them all so yeah just um just drop me a message and I am always here and um I, lovely Peter is as well it's just um don't don't suffer alone on on anything um you know just communicate and 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 speak your mind oh I echo every single word where can people find you online to connect with you yeah so my and kind of hang out on instagram that's my um my stomping ground so my my business um which is a marketing and branding consultancy business um it's the brand name is ebb flow and grow so i'm at ebbflowandgrow.com um and ebb flow and grow is my um my instagram handle um and you'll yeah you'll always find me on there um I'm just I'm so excited to connect with like-minded people um anyone that's on the same wavelength as a uh, good old pancake and I <laughs> been there, oh, I? thank you so much oh, thank you waffle I love you you're wonderful it's been a pleasure thank you thank you Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. I so hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it. And as a little reminder, because you are a soulful nourisher now, you've listened to an episode. 
As Soulful Nourishers, we know that resting is an investment in ourselves, our well-being, our energetic capacity. We know that play is not just for children, it enables souls of all ages to connect to creativity and joy. As Soulful Nourishers, we know that food is love and joy. It fuels, connects and creates. It is culture, tradition and nourishment. We know that breaks give our mind time to refocus. And we know that relaxing is the act which creates energy. It is not a waste of time. Above all, as Soulful Nourishers, we know that we are doing the best we can with the resources, time, energy, knowledge, wisdom, experience and capacity that we have to hand, always. Be gentle, be kind. You're doing the best you can, always. With lots of love, Peter and the cats.